Hey everybody, welcome in to the Sports Plus Live, if you're watching this live on social media, or the Sports Plus Podcast, of course, if you're listening to this sometime during the week. I am a 500 Side Sports Digital and Broadcast, a little bit of everything, producer Corey Miller here with 500 Side Sports Director Frank Cusimano. Uh, it's a fun time in the sports world. There's a lot going on, not necessarily with our local teams anymore, but there's still a lot to talk about. Frank, just today, uh, Rawlings came down with their Gold Glove nominees, and that's already created kind of a stir here in uh, Cardinal land. The Cardinals have three uh, finalists, Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, and Colton Wong, and all three very deserving Tyler O'Neill, uh, I think people may not have realized just how good he was defensively this year. He led baseball in a bunch of like the higher analytical categories. I think he's going to win for sure, which would be kind of an amazing thing if you think back on this year. You would have thought Tyler O'Neill is going to win something. Yeah, that shows you how little value we put in the defensive prowess of a Cardo outfielder because when you think Cardinals 2020, Corey, you think Tyler O'Neill hitting about 175 and a disappointing season. But you look at the metrics defensively, 89 chances and not one error, plus he showed great range out there. The analytics show that he was a terrific defensive outfielder. Now, that and $1.25 will buy you Diet Coke because it doesn't matter how good you are defensively if you're an outfielder. you got to slug. And I'm not saying he won't ever slug, but he's got to hit to be in the major league. I think uh, Colton Wong is a, a pretty good uh, shoe-in to win his second gold glove, I think, at, at second base. just uh, This year, let's talk about how it was tabulated this year. Usually, uh, the gold gloves are awarded by managers and coaches around the league voting. That didn't happen this year because of the condensed schedule. So it's all analytics. Uh, what's the correct term? I wrote it down. Uh, Sabres defensive index. That's all that's going to decide it. And the winners... You found this out. We found that we all found this out uh, last year. I think when you were talking to Colton Wong, the guys that won already know they won, which is kind of weird. And then they have to sit on it for a few weeks. Yeah, Colton couldn't tell anybody. In fact, I don't think he could even tell his good friend uh, Paul the Young, the shortstop, about it because Paul was a finalist also. But yeah, it is kind of fascinating. It's an unbelievable party, by the way. I don't know if it's going to be happen this year, but it's in New York, and they always bring in incredible entertainment. And the best part about it is they bring in Hall of Fame gold glove legends like Ozzie Smith and Johnny Bench. It's a great combination of the past of baseball with the present of baseball in terms of just great gold glovers. Now let's talk about the guy that didn't get uh, this named a finalist for the Cardinals and, and is quite mad online, and that's Yadier Molina. I don't know... I, I get what he's trying to say here, and he's saying, essentially, ask any catcher, and I should win the gold glove. And he does have that reputation by now, but then he kind of strays off into some, I don't know what in the world he's talking about here, saying MLB's conspiring so he doesn't tie Johnny Bench with 10 gold gloves. I think Gaddy just doesn't know how it was tabulated this year. I don't think he knows that they're literally just going off the list of, okay, these guys had the best metrics, they're the three finalists. And yeah. Yachty's stats don't stack up. I, yeah. I don't know what the disconnect is, but I hope somebody fills them in. Yeah, let's uh, make this real easy for our audience to understand. There's a pretty all-encompassing stat called defensive run saved. Yachty is a plus one, which is slightly above average. Stallings in Pittsburgh is a plus seven, 
which is probably why he's going to win the gold glove. Um, Yachty only allowed six base stealers, which is pretty good. Now, he missed a lot of games, but he also tied for the high in errors. I don't know. Look, online, as you mentioned, Corey, you know, I put it out on Twitter. People really are taking a stance. They're either saying, boy, I love that passion of Yadier Molina, or boy, he ought to just cool down and be quiet. And somebody even said, lose the tattoos. So it's really getting personal. Um, I just think it's amazing that a 38-year-old is still this passionate about defending his defensive reputation. We all know he's a good one. And that defensive run stat save, um, defensive run save stat, Corey, that doesn't really calculate how a man handles the pitching staff. And as we know, nobody handles the pitching staff better than Yadier Molina. Definitely. Nobody's, nobody's disputing Yadier's prowess, but I think everybody would kind of just be on, on, this, on this occasion, maybe, maybe step back a bit. Uh, and I think he was just a little heated at first, and I'm sure he'll, uh, you know, he, he won't stay that way. Let's, Corey, yeah, I'll ahead. tell you what, though, hold on. Though. His, his Instagram things... Have, you know, they're always spirited. I mean, who knows? If he doesn't come out and attack Mike Matheny in that Instagram, what would have happened with Mike Matheny? Because I'm telling you, that kind of like, you know, sealed the deal for Matheny. Oh, the, the catcher that he brought up, the catcher that he taught is now turning against him. And Mike was so innocent in saying that Yadier needed a break and he took it personal and went to social media. I'm telling you, his social media posts are explosive. That's true. He's actually been in, uh, he's been in comments of people calling him out so far and like responding to like random people. So he is on top of this for sure. Let's talk about Yachty a little bit more because there has been a little bit of news about him this week. Of course, doesn't have a contract going forward. Uh, came out, his agent, he wants two years, which is what we thought. You talked to Benji, had a really interesting conversation with his brother who might have an idea of what he's thinking. And Man, obviously Yachty doesn't want to leave, and Benji drove that home, drove that home, drove that home. But he knows what he's worth, and another thing Benji drove home is if the Cardinals aren't willing to make it happen, there are plenty of people more than willing to give Yachty whatever he wants. Yeah, I think a team like the Yankees, where that second year of a contract uh, wouldn't mean as much to them, the Angels, where both of his brothers played, and of course where Albert is, is interesting. But he means so much more to the Cardinals than he does to any other franchise. It's not like he's going to get standing ovations in New York and Anaheim like he is here in St. Louis. I just think if the Cardinals come up with a reasonable number that first year, and it's not going to be $20 million, it's probably going to be $10 million, and then they give him an option for a second, I think he's going to get it. But if he becomes a free agent and the Yankees say, hey, we want to give you you know, 30 million for two years and he'd have a chance to win. Who knows? Maybe he thinks twice about it. But my gut feel is I'd say it's 55-45. He comes back as a Cardinal. I agree. But I mean, to play devil's advocate, if I'm Yachty and it's even like close, I mean, the Yankees are well ahead uh, in what they're offering. That is a much better chance to win than what the Cardinals have shown you they can do right now. And he has made it clear anytime we've talked, he wants to win. He wants to win another one. He wants to win another one. I don't, if I'm personally him, I wouldn't blame him if he ends up chasing another ring with the Yankees, if the Cardinals don't give him what he thinks he's worth. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. Let's talk about some baseball that is actually being played, the World Series. I, 
I am more excited for this World Series, I think, than I've been for the last, I don't know, three or four, which is weird. And that's just kind of because I'm a Closet Rays fan. But I think this is going to be a really fun series. I think we've had two pretty good games, uh, interesting games throughout, and a couple of St. Louis guys being counted on in big spots, which is cool to see. Yeah, uh, Josh Fleming and uh, Pete Fairbanks for the Rays. And if you're a reliever with the Tampa Bay Rays, there's no question you are pitching in that game. If you don't pitch in this one, you're going to pitch in the next one because it's all about relievers with them. And I'm also fascinated by the Dodgers. You know, when I see Cody Bellinger hitting sixth, a reigning MVP hitting sixth, that's when you know the freaking lineup is stacked. And this Corey Seager, I mean, when this guy's healthy, he's the best shortstop in baseball. It's not even debatable. So they are so loaded. You, you find me that out in their lineup, and you know I'll give you a dollar. They're just they're unbelievable to watch, and it's it's a testament to the Rays. And look, hey, it's a one-one series, and they got Charlie Morton going. So maybe Tampa's up two-one going uh, going into Game Four. I really do love. I mean, it's not like I despise the Dodgers or anything, but I like seeing the Dodgers get this close and just always fail to make it happen. For them to go this long, 1988, a franchise like that with that much money and that many resources and that many good players go this long and not win a World Series, it, it's embarrassing. And honestly, at this point, because I'm far enough away, I'm not in L.A. or anything, it's just kind of funny as an outside baseball fan for them to just keep getting this close and just be dashed all the time. And I'd love to see the Rays do it. The Rays were my World Series pick back even before what we thought was going to be a 162-game series happened. It does kind of stink Jose Martinez isn't on this team anymore. I really wish he would have stayed there instead of being traded to the Cubs. Yeah, I don't think they have enough offense. In fact, um, they went, I believe it was eight straight games in the postseason while they're winning with 10 or fewer hits. You know, their, their numbers are not that different than the Cardinals' offense, which is really an insult to them, except the power numbers. But, I mean, if you look at, like, you know, batting average and on-base percentage, I mean, if, if the Dodgers figure out, and they've done it the first two games, how to pitch to Randy or Rosarina, I think the Dodgers are going to win this thing. Yeah, Rosarina not quite as hot as he was the rest of the postseason, and Man, they spotlighted him quite a bit. Fox is really hoping he keeps uh, he keeps busting out, and that would certainly be something to see. But yeah, that offense does concern me. Uh, but if they get a lead of a couple run, a run or a couple runs somehow, I am very confident in that raise. <clears throat> excuse me, in that raise bullpen to hold on. Let's uh, actually, you know, I had a couple people real quick, Frank. Uh, I had a couple people ask what happened to the uh, the Cardinals card segment we used to do, and since. Cardinals aren't playing anymore. We have a little bit more baseball time. So I'm going to flip to a random page here, pick out a, uh, a Cardinals card. Who do we got? Let's take... Here we go. Bob Tewksbury. Okay. You had a pretty good interview with not yes. that long ago. Corey, uh, he was a really interesting guy. Part of the bloodbath with the Chicago Cubs, he was their mental, mental coach their mental skills coach, and they just fired 100 people, and he was one of them. But nobody got more out of less than Bob Tewksbury. I mean, he threw the ball like maybe 90 miles an hour max. You know, he touched, but he won a lot of games because he won it with guts and guile. I love the guy, wrote a book about uh, his career. He's, he's sensational. 
I didn't know he was with the the Cubs now. He was with the Giants, wasn't he? And yeah, he was. Kind of helped out. A, that's too bad he was part of that. Yeah, that was a big big layoff there with the Cubs. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Uh, talk some Blues hockey. We got some news today. Actually, the Blues will not be playing in the Winter Classic against the Minnesota Wild up at Target Field on January 1st, which is a bummer because we saw just how cool that event was here in person. Always cool to see the Blues play in a big event like that. Uh, the NHL is still going to try and start the year on January 1st, they say, though. I don't think it's a good sign that they're already canceling their big events like the All-Star Game and the Winter Classic in terms of at least fan presence. That's what I think this signals. And I, I don't think the players want any part of a bubble again, but I don't know what we're going to see uh, well, because you got Canada and the United States to work into this equation. I don't know what we're going to see. Well, I think what we're going to see is what we're seeing in baseball and what we're seeing in a lot of NFL stadiums and what we're seeing in college football. It's going to be that 20% thing. So the Winter Classic was going to be, I don't know, where was the venue? Was it going to be where the Vikings play? Uh, Target Field. Okay, so it was going to be... Where the Twins play. Yeah, 40,000, 50,000 people. And we're not going to be able to do that, you know, moving forward. But I just thought the encouraging thing was at the end, at the bottom of that release, we still plan on starting the season around January 1st. If they can get it going with about, you know, 20%, 25%, I'd consider it a victory at this point. If they say, will you do that? I'd take it in a heartbeat. I, uh, the thing, I think the sticking point is the breakdown between the Canadian teams and the U.S. teams. Because that was a big thing with the bubbles. They both went to Canada. And that might be a, a testing issue. I, I think that could be a really sticky situation. And I've even seen some people throw out that Canadian teams could end up playing in like random host cities like Louisville or something uh, this upcoming yeah, actually, season. So I think that's the big... Interesting because Louisville could actually be the home of the Toronto Raptors. So that's what they're talking there. So who knows, you know, I, I, I wish one of those, I wish Toronto would consider coming to St. Louis and playing at Shavitz or, you know, the Scott Trade Center, something like that. I'll that take one of those NBA cool. teams. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, let's move on. Oh, well, actually, not quite move on. Ahmad and I last week had a nice long conversation about uh, now that Alex Petrangelo's gone, the captainship, captainship is up for grabs. We all thought the same way, and I already know, I don't even have to ask you, but we'll get your take on here too. I think you're going to have the same exact take as me and Ahmad. It's a clear-cut fit for one specific Blues player. Yeah, I don't know why there's any delay. Just put the C on Ryan O'Reilly and let's move on. You know, a, he's arguably your best player. B, he's, he's your hardest worker. And C, the guy has great leadership skills. I mean, David Perron follows him. David Perron's a really good player, and he's in his 30s. And when Ryan O'Reilly says, we're going to have a practice after practice, David Perron is there, and so are many others. So it's a no-brainer. He represents the franchise in such a classy way. Let's do it. Let's get some uh, football stuff out of the way to wrap this episode of Sports Plus Podcast up. First, we got Mizzou and Kentucky on Saturday. I hope any momentum they may have gained uh, from half from beating LSU and then having to sit out a week isn't lost because I think this team was going to start rolling. They're buying in under Drinkwitz. They're having fun. Uh, Mizzou hasn't beat Kentucky in like five years. Barry Odom never beat Kentucky. So... I think this is a pretty big show-me-what-you-got game. 
to see if they can back up what they did against LSU. Well, it's a huge game. You lose this game, and then you have Georgia and Florida back-to-back. So we're talking, you know, a one-and-four record. Then you got to go to South Carolina. You have to beat Kentucky. It's not good for your football program to lose to Kentucky six times in a row. Uh, this is going to be a great test, though. Kentucky's defense has been out of sight the last two weeks. We had their play-by-play broadcaster, Tom Leach, on the radio this week. I think they've given up nine points in the last two weeks. They destroyed Tennessee, a team that destroyed Missouri. But in Mizzou's favor is Connor Bazelak has another you know, couple of weeks to learn this great system of Coach Drink. I think it was a blessing in disguise because this is one of the most intricate systems in all of college football. This is one of the great minds in all of college football. And they were cheated basically out of a summer of heavy reps. I think the more reps in Coach Drink's offense, the better off, be, better off you will be. And I think Mizzou's going to win this game on Saturday. And Illinois, they've got Wisconsin on Friday to actually open up the entire Big Ten season. Uh, they've got another pretty easy schedule, all things considered. They play Rutgers, Northwestern. I think there are a couple easier, other easier Big, te- Big Ten teams on there. What's the reasonable expectation for them this year? Because they had a pretty good year last year, but now they have to build. They can't go backwards. Yeah, um, the encouraging thing for me about the University of Illinois is the veteran leadership, particularly on the offensive line. Lovey Smith said the other day that he thinks that all five of those guys will get a chance to play professionally. And as Dan Deardorff once told me a long time ago, if our big, ugly guys up front beat up your big, ugly guys up front, then we win the game. So if Illinois can control the line of scrimmage, which I think they can with this veteran offensive line, I think they got a chance to be a 500 team, maybe a little better. I think that'd be good for them in the Big Ten this year. Okay, very last thing before we wrap up. Uh, we got some a little bit of XFL news this week, and I'm I'm just kind of scrounging for any scrap of Battle Hawks uh, good feelings I can find. Talking to some people in the know, there have been preliminary talks about the XFL returning to St. Louis, and I don't think that's any surprise. Once we found out a new group was buying it, they had to come back to St. Louis because it performed better than pretty much every city in anything. But you brought up an interesting point in your interview uh, with the CVC president. Don't you think the XFL would maybe not go to L.A. or not go to New York and find some other markets to go into? Yeah, get rid of those cities that don't give a rat's A about the XFL. I mean, get these mid-market cities that would just be really passionate about it. Um, It's sad in one way that it's not going to be till 2022, but as Kitty Radcliffe told me yesterday, you know, they got to go through this whole bankruptcy thing. They got a lot of work to do before they can get this league up and running. But the Rocks got money. Uh, there's some passion for this league. I think we're going to see it again. Just imagine, Corey, too, in 2023, okay, you'd have on a, on a spring day, on a spring Sunday in St. Louis, you could have the Blues, you could have the MLS, you could have the Cardinals, and you could have the Battle Hawks. That'd be a, that'd be a good time to be a sportscaster, I'll tell you that. That would be a lot of fun. Let's hope it happens. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week for the Sports Plus podcast. Uh, We will be back next week. Maybe we'll have a World Series winner by then. Take it easy, everybody.